I'm Rialina, and you are listening to the Amsterdam Comedy Podcast. Welcome to the Amsterdam Comedy Podcast. I am Jonathan. And hey, I'm Greg. And this week we have the curious case of Rialina. Okay, why did you put it like that? Well, Rialina is, I mean, a very funny comedian. Uh, she's all about breaking taboos, and uh, she sings with a ukulele. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she's also, how should I put Well, according to her Wikipedia page, she has a PhD in viral bioinformatics, and she has worked as an IT forensic investigator for the UK Serious Fraud Office. She... Uh, describes herself as uh, a proud Asperger's case, and she's the mother of three. You don't, so, you don't hear a lot of Asperger comedians, nor do you hear about a lot of people who have a PhD in viral bioinformatics also going into comedy and playing the ukulele. Or being a mother of three. I mean, it does not lend itself easily to touring. And by the way, folks, she really is quite the serious songstress. Her acts... Is, as I said, the ukulele, and she played for us. Here's an example. I don't need my food cut up. I don't drink from a sippy cup. I can handle the stairs in my private affairs, but what I need is for you to shut up. You don't need to talk slow, loud, and clear. Just because I'm not listening doesn't mean I can't hear that. I might rub off as your biggest fear, but what I need is for you to fuck off. I don't need a friendly shoulder to cry on Or a man to rely on To lend an ear or build a cupboard from Ikea Doesn't mean I can't have either I need the labels to stop Are we actually recording? Or are you just testing? Oh, I'm sorry, I thought we were... Level checking. Well, yeah, both. Oh, both. Oh, shit. It was, okay, it was hang on. It was immediately good, so I went oh. for it. <laughs> Bless you, and I fucked it up <laughs> by stopping. Obviously, that's about the being mother of three part. Yeah. And it just got better from there. And you, you actually knew her before we interviewed her, right, Craig? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was in Edinburgh at the Fringe Festival. I was looking for cool comedians to interview, and Rialina shows up on my radar. I bumped into her on the street uh, after some shows, and I said, oh, hey, Rialina, uh, you know what? You don't know me, but... <laughs> She's like, hey, Greg Shapiro, she totally knew me. Her parents live in the Netherlands, and they know me from the comedy scene here, so it was, like, meant to be. But she kind of speaks Dutch, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. Why is that? She, I th- she's like, I guess what you would call a third culture kid. Uh, yeah. Her, her parents are what? Uh, German and Filipino. Of course. And then she, they moved around a lot. When she was growing up, she spent part of the time growing up in The Hague. Right. I, I think that's right. And then... Um, uh, she's living in the UK now. Yeah. And also, and this is very peculiar, when she speaks, uh-huh. she has an American accent. Right. And a UK vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that completely it confusing? <laughs> throws you off a little. Yeah, yeah. That's really weird. Like, you know, she does, she sounds as American as apple pie, as you'll hear, but she does fill her car with petrol. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she puts the jerry can in the boot. Yeah, I know. It's totally confusing. I know that in today's woke day and age, these things don't matter. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they do matter to me. What can I say? Can I be honest about that? They matter to me. And you know, yeah, yeah. we interviewed her on the stage that she was performing at that night in The Hague. And where was that again? That was the Brunel uh, com- well, the Bernoulli Theater Literary Cafe, technically. It's adorable, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and restaurant. So anyway, back to our main feature. You had disappeared somewhere, Greg. So, oh, yeah. So Rhea and I, we sang to amuse ourselves, waiting for you to turn up. See that girl, watch that scene, dig it, the dancing queen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know that one. That's good. But now I want you to sing a song. Friday night and the light. Oh, right. Okay. Um... <laughs> Oh, one of mine? One of mine. Yeah, okay. Of course one of yours. Oh, okay, we'll do this. I don't get to do this one. So, um every, you, if you have children, you know that they go through different stages and phases, and everyone is aware of the terrible twos. The terrible twos are terrible because they just learn they learn the word no and they use it liberally. Uh, but what people don't know is that after the terrible twos comes the inquisitive threes, where all they ask is why, why, how come, um, and it's maddening. So I wrote this song for my son when he was in that phase called the How Come Song. Here we go. 
My son who is three, he asks questions of me Like why is the sky blue and how come that's a tree? And I say cause that's how God intends them to be Now leave me alone cause I'm watching TV but his brain doesn't stop, it keeps whirring around And he says, what is God and how come poo is brown? Where's the radio go when you turn off the sound? Who is that man with the sweets in the playground? And it's only ten and I'm weary and fast Well, we get dressed and go to the park down the road And he says, how come Santa's not small like a toad? How's he fit down the chimney with his heavy load? How come if I play with it, my willy will explode? And his questions don't stop, they just go on and on and on and on and on. Like, how come we die? Where do babies come from? Will I really go blind if I stare at the sun? Why does dad kiss the old pair whenever you're gone? And the other mom sniggered as I looked a fool. I said, whenever I'm gone, though, you're also at school. He said, but mama, I saw it with my two own eyes. I said, son, then you must be blind or you're telling tales. Yes, I know the au pair's really good looking, but he's also a guy. Well, I dragged him back home, sent him up to his room, and I summoned the old pair to his impending doom. I said, how could you do this to my family? He said, ma'am, yes. You said I had extra chores, yes, round the house and such. Yes, that didn't mean fuck my husband. You were meant to fuck me. My son who is four doesn't ask anymore. Where did the OPEC go? What's mama in jail for? That was great. <laughs> and you know what? Kind, kind, kind of touching. You got oh, me right there. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right at the end, right? You yeah. Just you're going. Yeah. This is funny, and at the end, you just go, oh. Uh, uh, and now Greg's here. He's uh, brought water and hey. stuff. Is it tea? That's tea. Yeah, I brought tea. Yeah, excellent. Is it the tea excellent. Like milk too, or like herbal? It's herbal tea. Herbal. It's charge you up, uh, herbal tea. Herbal. I wanna charge you. Familiar with Americans when it's herbal. Yeah, and not herbal. And not herbal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we don't do that. Yeah, we also don't pronounce our T's, as you know. Yeah, you change them to D's. Yeah, we change them to D's. You know what, though? Some of the Brits don't pronounce their T's either. We just get rid of it completely. Water. There's yes. No, there's no T. Water. That's right. Bigger problem with the Brits, especially if they're a bit posh, no R's. And I find that very problematic. Yes. No R's. That's quite Yeah. Nice. Uh, look at look at what he's brought. He's brought us like a, a, a adorable little vase, and he's got himself a lovely little cup of coffee with a cookie, and he's got and three of glasses water. of water, and we have tea here. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man! <laughs> yeah, fancy pants. You missed your calling. I'm, yeah, I, I'm a wannabe uh, Brit. I'm an Anglophile. I'm an Anglophile. Oh. Anglophile housewife. That's what I was talking about. De uh, maid. Oh yeah. Maid. Yeah. 
Is that a reference to me being Filipino? Because I'm offended. Yes. Yeah. It was. Shit, she got on. We did. (laughs) I guess we were going to talk about it. We we're, we were gonna follow your uh, uh, topic of, of stereotypes. Oh, were you? And even the documentary you did, How but dare you? yeah. How dare you call but I'm glad you brought it. Yeah, yeah you, well, you turned you way well, beat us to it. In your in your podcast blurb, it says that you you try and get people to talk about stuff they didn't want to talk about. So I'm like, let's do this. Bring it. Let us see who who cracks first. <laughs> she but but the, she brought it up. I mean, but the thing that we do is we do sort of like in the car on the way over. We think, how are we going to bring up the topic? How are we going to do with you? We didn't even have to. No, no, no. Well, that's what I find. But that's the beauty of comedy is you get there first. That's what I that's what I love about confrontational, com- especially when you live and work in Britain with Brits. The the best way to rile them up is to bring something up. They're the most passive aggressive nation I've ever come across. So the best way to make everyone feel uncomfortable is to just start the conversation. What's the thing that gets the most uncomfortable? Nudity. I'm sorry. In what way? In your comedy, like when you get when you're like now it and now it is time to make everyone in the audience squirm. Therefore, I am going to talk about. Well, you know what? Actually, I don't think. To be honest, I think I'm I'm too insecure to be a squirmer. If I'm totally honest, I get too scared about people not liking me. So I don't think I make people squirm. Or I'll I will. What I like to do is say stuff that people get uncomfortable at for the wrong reasons, and then and then call them on that. So if I say Jew, people get uncomfortable. And then you say, I'm sorry, there's nothing wrong with saying the word Jew. Let's talk about that. But I'm not going to do an uncomfortable pedophile rape joke or something, you know, something that I, something that would make me uncomfortable. I've, you know, I've been in shows where someone's gone too far. I don't like that. You've been, sorry. The vernacular. <laughs> you've been at shows. I know. Uh, you've in been or at. shows. You've watched shows. In and around. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh. Actually, well, here's a quick question as well. This has been a sort of a theme with some of the other uh, female comedians, you know, and, and I think, who was it who was saying that uh, it's rare to find a lineup, you know, a stand-up lineup with more than one woman? You know, organizers kind of like, yeah, we got our woman, thanks. I don't want this to be labeled as the all-woman show, <laughs> like by having more than one representative of over half the population on the planet like yeah i don't know that's me you know see i i can now say things that are a little edgy because i've demonstrated that i'm tolerant and and pc <laughs> you mean in previous podcasts or this today no just now oh, right, i just so. need to demonstrate my credentials okay yeah. okay so what was your question your question yeah. was do you ever are you ever in the situation where you get accused of uh if you're in a a lineup with more than one woman that they say that you get pushed back and they say, hey, we're not the Lilith Fair, you know? The Lilith Fair? Oh, you never Is heard of that? No, yeah, that? oh, it's like a, that's like a musical. It's a very left wing and in many ways, I think, lesbian, female folk festival. Feminist, lesbian, <laughs> comfortable shoe wearing, Birkenstock, right? women in checkered right. shirts. <laughs> That's what the little fair. No, that, but that you might get accused of that if there's more than one woman in the lineup. Um. Okay. I think that every success. Oh, Sorry. that was a teapot. Just so we're clear, no one like let one loose. Um, <laughs> I was the teapot. <laughs> he was burping over one shoulder as well, which is impressive. The way it should be done. Um, I, you know, it's tricky. I've never, whenever I speak with girlfriends, comedian girlfriends, who I respect and admire as funny people, we all tend to have the same consensus that we've never had a problem generally That's with great. being seen as women because there is a threshold of funny above which if you're funny, you're human yeah. and below which it comes down to, well, they're okay funny, but they're also, they also have race or they also play an instrument or they're also a woman. And then that's where this tick boxing I tend to find comes in. Tick boxing? Um, and, and don't get me wrong. I reckon tick boxing. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's engaged in by a lot of promoters. It's a very niche sport. Right. Um, they're, they're trying to get it into the Olympics. It's literally niche because they're putting you into pigeonholes. It's media, it's a very media centric sport. Yeah. If I'm honest, tick boxing. Um, and I don't, don't get me wrong. I know when I, I know that I, I'm often ticking a box, but 
or two or even three. Yeah. But you know what? That's the funny thing. There is a bell curve for tick boxing. Too many. And then they're confused. <laughs> they're like, there's too many boxes. <laughs> you, you are. Yeah. Too niche. You're yeah. too many niches all at the same time. You're blowing my mind. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, uh, full disclosure. I mean, I uh, have been organizing a lineup or two. And in Edinburgh, uh, when I had this uh, uh, show of, of sort of a, organizing a lineup show in Edinburgh, Free Fringe, uh, so I believe I had you along. Yes. Uh, and that was whew, 2015. So anyway, that's when you were doing Taboo Raider that in Taboo Edinburgh. Uh, but anyway, it was lovely to have you in the lineup. And uh, indeed, you ticked a lot of my uh, organizational <laughs> boxes. Oh, yeah, music. She's a female comedian and uh, a POC. Uh, are we saying that? POC? <laughs> I don't even know. Wow, person of color. Or Asian. Oh. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Oriental. oriental. I'm saying it now. I I <laughs> I own the word oriental. I like the word oriental. I prefer it. Yeah. Because in Britain, Asian is, is yeah. owned by a different culture so i'm not you know if there's an asian gig they don't right. mean my asian i have been booked for brown gigs don't get me wrong because i am on the dulex color chart of brown but um it'll be often a, you know a room full of people who like spicy food and me and it, and it doesn't <laughs> you know and and we we tolerate each other we just go oh well done you well done you and yes you're definitely more one of us than one of them one of them air quotes uh but <laughs> we're still not the same <laughs> It's yeah. still very much not the same. Yeah, yeah. No. What a, I mean, what worst term could there be, really? Asian. Change. That's a, the, the big, I mean, it's just oh. the biggest landmass of any continent. You know, <laughs> there are a lot of, what, oh. what do we mean? Asian. Siberians? Yeah. You know? You mean Israeli? <laughs> Turks? Asian. What do you, mean? you know what? Friend, my friend's mother, exactly. My friend's mother is Israeli and she would get funding for Asian women. Because she demonstrated that it's technically Asia. So she would get the funding. That's very interesting that it's technically Asia because it's Asia. Yeah, right. How does one how does it get to be technically Asian? If you're, you're maybe you're too white. If, if you're, you're Azerbaijani and you're Muslim, does that make you more Asian than an Armenian who is Christian? How did we get into this? This was a comedy well, podcast. She <laughs> she demonstrated that geographically where she was from was connected to Asia and they hadn't defined clearly enough where the border of Asian funding stopped because um, it, it wasn't culturally defined. It was it just said Asian funding. My evidence, any map. <laughs> Strange. That's so strange. Uh, but hold on. Now, um, Rhea is throwing us off because oh, uh, we we thought you would be, you know, difficult and we'd have to lead you into all these traps. So now you've just <laughs> sprung all of our traps right away. I, um, I have, and I have my own trump card as well. I brought, uh, I brought a trump card in case you were, like, <laughs> trying to trip me up. I brought one. What's a trump card? Do, already? We only just started. Let's no, do no. it. Really? Let's well, no, because I, I was going to throw down that you kept saying Marcel's name wrong in your last podcast. Uh, that was my throwdown card. Oh, wow. What did I, you say? Lucon. And it's Lucon. Oh, my God. You're right. What? <laughs> no, I was listening to going, oh, thank God I've got something in case they get really, She's really right. uncomfortable. What? We're going to see him, too. Yeah. In a little bit. Yeah. And he will have heard it. I hope so. Shit. <laughs> Marcel Lucont. What? Yeah, but I think we, we both kept saying Ducomte. What? No, in she's your, right. In your intro. Oh, because then it sounds like... Uh, like oh. we're a bunch of fucking idiots? Yeah, that's right. That's what it sounds like. But, but, uh, <laughs> you didn't say that. You sounded um, American. Or confidently wrong. <laughs> Uh, I enjoyed it very much. It was an episode. It was a great oh, wow. episode. Oh, okay. Thank you, but we sound like a couple of morons. Was it just me? No. It was, it was both, both of us? Both you. And he never corrected you. And then when he said his own name, he said it so quickly as well, as if to fudge it so that it wouldn't... But he, so, he just went... So British not to correct the person... Right. Out of politeness, right. isn't it? proves it's a character. Yeah. Proves that he's a character. Oh, my God. Otherwise, yeah, the character would have corrected us and berated us, I think. But, well, hold on. Now, I, I feel a correction coming at the end of this show. Sure. At the very no, least. No, I don't mind. I don't mind if you uh, want. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, you yeah, yeah. could edit this whole thing out and it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it happened. <laughs> uh, 
Well, now, hold on. Um, just so you know, Rhea, uh, Jonathan and I uh, do, we f- split the duties of, uh, you know, we, we split the duties. We, That's such a modern marriage. Yeah, we, yeah. Jonathan does a lot of the heavy lifting, honestly, and I'm just the uh, peacock showboat. I don't know. Um, I'm more the comedian who uh, has contacts with comedians, but, and, and Jonathan is more from the actual journalism, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's your point? Your podcast What's outside, your point? and he'll do the editing as well. So yeah. Uh, Where but, are you going with this? So I mean, I was gonna. I already talked about my comedy stuff a little bit, but Jonathan, why don't you get into? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's rare to have. I'll I'll ask your question for you. It's rare to find a, a comedian who has a PhD. Yeah. Okay, I think there's a couple of us about like like I know Harry Hill was a doctor. Before not a PhD doctor, but he was a doctor before he, he went into comedy. But it, you know what? It, it this sounds so wanky, but it was it. I basically did the PhD while I trained as a comedian. It was it was the thing that supported the comedy. So I would I would you know it gave me a stipend. Um, to, to, it gave me some, you know, it gave me enough money to live off of so I could go and do all my open mic gigging and yeah. travel to the to the remote ends of the earth for twenty five pounds. Because while you're working on a PhD, you have all that extra time to kill, right? I mean, well, (laughs) and don't get me wrong. I I love that people are in awe of PhDs and I don't think everyone should have one. Um, Definitely it's there. You know, I am an elitist in that in that respect. But that said, I mean, a PhD is the most wonderful time in anyone's life who enjoys learning, who enjoys learning i suppose you're i'm a self-employed individual and for good reason i you know i don't work well with others my last boss said ria you tend to create a vortex around you and people get sucked in whether they like it or not um <laughs> and I, went, oh, <laughs> I used to work for the serious fraud office as a, a an it forensics investigator <laughs> and um it didn't it didn't work out for either of us <laughs> wait, what was the worst bit when when did you know this ain't working um, when I told them I suffered from seasonal affective disorder, which needs light. And so, cause we were moving offices and I said, I really, there were desks by the window and desks in the middle of the room. And then when it came time, they said, yep, yep, that's fine. You have that desk. And then when we moved, they went, look, either you're on this team or you get a desk by the window. And that was choice. So I had to pick the desk in the middle of the room. That's when you go, okay, dudes. And then they, and they said, well, we can change the light bulbs to like, those weird light bulbs that they, you know, they're light bulbs that give you fake daylight. I'm going, how hard is it to give me a desk by the window when I have a medical certificate that says, if you don't want the vortex thing happening, (laughs) put her by the window. So that's when I realized this is never, it was just, it's civil service. It had all of the hallmarks of civil service. You've got those that are in it because they truly believe in the cause and, and they will work for less money because they believe in fighting crime and, you know, and justice and everything else. And then you've got those that, that landed a job for life and need to do just enough to not get fired. You can't get fired. Someone left evidence on a bus. They didn't get fired. <laughs> I mean, just, yeah. <laughs> just, just out of curiosity, what was the evidence? Uh, I don't know exactly what it was. I mean, bloody like, rag. Like they had a folder. This or a bag. They left it on the days of this was before the days of USB sticks and thumb drives and whatever, right? Because so it would have been on a CD or DVD yeah. or a P, or or a stack of papers. I don't know what it was, but right. we do know it got left on the bus. I bet I'm gonna get a knock on the door from like the government going, "You signed the Secrets Act." I didn't say what it was. <laughs> I don't think that's covered by well, the Secrets sorry, Act. There were so many things in there. You just said people who, who, who joined the civil service because they want to fight crime. I mean, and we kind of glanced over it, but you just said what the, the forensics office uh, for serious bank fraud. I mean, how did you end up involved? How did you become a crime fighter? <laughs> well, you know what? Sometimes you don't pick it. It picks you. Um, no. <laughs> Someone gave me some Lycra. I'm like, what am I going to do with this? Uh, (laughs) I look fabulous in it. Uh, No, um, after I did the PhD, um, I became a professional comic and then I had a kid and then I got bored at home with the kid because they're they're cute, but they they're they're rubbish at conversation. And so I went and did a master's in forensics and then off the back of that ended up getting I had done it. 
consultancy with City of London Police, and then off the back of that, they recommended me to the Serious Fraud Office. And sorry, forensics. A lot of people are going to hear forensics and think, uh, I don't know, uh, dead body. Like CS, yeah, dead body CSI. Yeah. That, but it's but it's IT forensics, right? I ended up in IT forensics. So the forensics degree covered everything. So dead bodies, fire investigation, um, uh, natural, you know, disaster investigation, like bombs and that kind of stuff, and then and then also your micro forensics, so lab work and chemical, you know fingerprinting, all of that. And then I ended up doing um, IT forensics because I already had a computing background from the PhD. So the PhD I did was in viral bioinformatics, which is using computer programming and computer programs to analyze biology and biology data. And my personal area of expertise was herpes viruses. So I do have a PhD in herpes viruses. I will tell you that now. What's the most interesting thing about the herpes virus that most people don't know? Okay, I'll tell you if you put your trousers back on, because I'm not checking that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fair play. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so uh, herpes viruses, I, they're, they're really, I, I, I'm going to say fascinating. Everyone's going to go, she's nuts. But every species that we've ever looked at so far has a herpes virus. So they're really? so old that they've obviously co-evolved with us through you know evolution because every time we I mean, zebrafish zebrafish have herpes viruses we found them in frogs you find i mean mammals we expect because you know that's quite a recent branch off but zebrafish so probably herpes virus we had a, a common ancestor before we divided off into fish and thing that would soon become mammal well i think that that's particularly interesting news for very, very uh, sexually promiscuous Hindus to know because no matter how what they come back as, they no. might get a herpes virus. If they're lucky, they'll bring the same one back with them. It Maybe it's a companion that stays with you through life. I'm glad you, you did mention the reincarnation at the end because up until then you were just talking about Hindus uh, that wanted to shag around. <laughs> <laughs> just going, oh, I better use protection when I molest the zebrafish. Well, you know, if you're a Hindu, it's, you're a very bad person. It's possible to come back as a herpes virus. Is that just Hindu or is it also, it's Buddhism it's Buddhist. as well? The Buddhist. Anyway. Isn't it technically everybody according to Hindus and Buddhists? Yeah. Technically, we all reincarnate, not just those that believe. We're all Asian in that sense. Yeah. Right. Some of us are just more Asian than others. Well, that's really interesting. How often do you throw out that little piece of information about the herpes virus? That's what stuck with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's okay. Let's be honest. That's one of the more accessible facts that people go, okay, that's that's non offensive or crazy. But uh, people don't tend to question me about the PhD that much. So you brought it up. So, what's the inaccessible fact that you think is really interesting and that doesn't get brought up in polite company? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this gets more technical, but what I was studying in particular was the relationship between herpes viruses and host genomes, because the way that the herpes virus infects you is once you're infected, you're infected for life. So a lot of people don't realize this, but chickenpox is a herpes virus. So it's not just the sexually transmitted disease downstairs and the cold sores upstairs. You can also get, there's a couple of childhood fevers, uh, Kaposi's sarcoma, which is quite common in Mediterranean countries or in the immunosuppressed, is a herpes virus, chickenpox, and um, shingles, which is shingles, right. can also represent uh, as shingles or um, what is it called? Um, glandular fever wow. is another one. That's a herpes virus. And once you're infected with it, you have it for life because of the way that it goes into a cell and it can lie dormant in that cell for ages. That's why some people get cold sores over and over again. When they get stressed, the herpes virus wakes up and goes party time and then comes down and expresses itself around the mouth or, you know, around the genitals and then goes back again. And so because it has had such a close relationship with the host genome, with the your own DNA, they've swapped genes back and forth over, over thousands and thousands of years. So the question is, which gene, which came first? Who gave who what? And, and my big question, how does this inform your comedy? <laughs> I was about to say, this shit's comedy gold. I can't believe she hasn't mined this. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be honest, it, not a lot of it shows up. Um, I mentioned having a PhD, but I, I think I find that, again, if I... And God, this I'm coming across terribly. Okay. If I got on stage and said, by the way, this is my resume, I think you would put off a lot of the average comedy goer because they want to relate to who was on stage and you want to have like common ground. If, you know, it's, it, 
if you get on stage and go, so by the way, I'm way more educated than all of you, <laughs> but thank you so much for coming. I appreciate your 10 euros. Um, it, it wouldn't, you know, like that's, it's not going to work. So I mentioned having it and then I deny any knowledge of what it actually is. <laughs> that is the PhD, not the herpes. Yeah. Yeah. That you got. Yeah. No problem. Well. <laughs> you know what I, you know what I noticed? First. You You'll have to buy me dinner first. <laughs> that, sorry. I mean, that's a unique thing that we sort of, that you treat like, ah, yeah. Uh, having to, I don't know, dumb it down. Uh, I, I don't know. Did you d- no, discover that right away? Not dumb it down, but because um, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't well, want no, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> not dumb it. No, that's not what I meant. I just meant like you don't bring it up, but I still. I think that I don't. I just write comedy the way I write it, and we all have our own voice and the way that we express ourselves. And it will. And after a while, I realize people come up and go, "I really like your stuff. It's really intelligently." Um, scripted. So I think that that's how it informs it is just the way either that I process information or twist it around and put it back down on the page. So I don't think it comes, like I don't have a routine on herpes. I don't know. Well, you know, night is young. Um, I don't have a routine on herpes yet, but I think that what I learned from the PhD in terms of how to read, how to resource information, how to, you know, write things down, twist things. Well, let me posit this idea to you because Great one of the yes, thank you. We're alienating. <laughs> so far, demographic there. Can we add it to the word board? We've had duties, <laughs> herpes, and, and posit. <laughs> Deposit your duties here. Um, so no, Mike. But seriously, when we were talking about the, the stuff that you like to bring up, which makes people uncomfortable, but things that you own, it's an mm. idea that you own, right? It's like you're not going to talk about things that you don't relate to really mm. but like being uh, uh uh oriental as you put it and throwing that out there because you want to throw the audience off kilter i think that that relates to your phd because if you're studying science one of the things that i noticed about a lot of scientists is, is they haven't got a lot of time for bullshit right it's a it's an empirical world and sometimes the empirical world is uncomfortable and that might be, what do you think about my, my theory, that this is the reason why you feel comfortable throwing out things that are uncomfortable? I think actually, which we haven't mentioned yet, I think it has more to do with my, my Asperger's than necessarily the science, although the Asperger's under, explains why I went into science, because that's a very comfortable world to be in, is a world of facts. Wait, but are you, no. do you, have you been diagnosed Asperger's? Uh, what are we now, how old am I? Uh, about five or six years ago. But, you know, one of the, I thought, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought one of the major characteristics of people with Asperger is that uh, they are not funny. They don't get jokes. Uh, Well, first of all, there are so many people, I would say, that are on the spectrum in the comedy Uh, world anyway. Terminology break. I mean, for for our dear listeners, um, yeah, autism, Asperger's, I mean, these are related, right? And I have heard that uh, the term autistic is thrown around in comedy or in politics, but... uh, Science and mathematics. In science and mathematics. Now, I mean, the the more accurate term, I think, is there's a spectrum of autism. Everyone displays some... you know, uh, characteristics, I guess. Uh, but so, and Asperger's also has a spectrum. This is new to me. So as the scientist, since that's our theme, uh, I thought I would clarify. Uh, so, so you're on the spectrum. Uh, yeah. Okay. So autism is, um, there, there are official definitions to autism. There are official diagnostic criteria to being called autistic. They've just recently in the last year gotten rid of Asperger's as a separate diagnostic term. Now everybody is autistic or has ASD, autistic spectrum disorder. And if you are on the spectrum, then you've been diagnosed as having autism. But Asperger's was a term used for years to refer to those that were at the, quote, high-functioning end of the spectrum, not that a spectrum is a line. Uh-huh. Um, so the, the the Asperger's were, and they're also constantly being portrayed in comedy. I mean, Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory is the most prominent autistic character who's never been called autistic. Uh-huh. But everyone goes, yes, but he does this, he does this, he does. It's always used in comedy because, it, it, because of their bluntness, because... Uh, neurotypicals, which is what we say to people that are not 
on the spectrum have um, the full range of capability to read between the lines or, or um, not, you know, the passive aggressive, oh, I can't possibly say it to his face. It would embarrass him. And that's where, you know, the autistic character comes in and goes, you have a zit or whatever it might be. Or, oh, oh she's that sleeping with your brother. That, that mean, sorry, and you just dropped this other term, neurotypical. Neurotypical. I've never heard. You mean non-autistic. That's like muggle. Yes, it's exactly that. Neurotypicals are, are muggles. That is exactly, this perfect. You're getting this. You, I'm going to give you a PhD by the end of this. I think you're, you're doing so well. Uh, yeah. So you were actually diagnosed as being on the, what, what was the term you used? The spectrum? How would you say spectrum. it? Yeah. Yes, which is, which is not like the computer. Um, really? Mm, Remember this? The, well, there was a mm -hmm. spectrum computer. Nope. nope. What? Nope. Not a computer nope, nope. guy. Never heard of it. Wow. Never heard of a spectrum computer. Have you? Uh, no, I've heard of the movie Spectre. I'm sure there was yeah. a computer back in the 80s called the Spectre. I'm sure mm. I have. Or maybe it was a game console. No, no. Okay. Never okay. heard of I it. I might say pause and Google this. <laughs> <laughs> but right. anyway, but the point, but the point was the topic was but, the fact that you have been diagnosed. So, and, uh, you know, this is I, I find this very interesting because one of the things that I was understood about people who suffered, well, not suffer. <laughs> sorry. Oh, I'm a dick. I'm sorry. The people who were diagnosed with, I apologize. I apologize. She's got seasonal affective disorder. She's got sad. She's autistic. It turned out to be a part of it. It's all one People near her get sucked into a vortex. It's endless. We've all got herpes. No, but one of the things I've heard about people with Asperger's, one of the, one of the things that are characteristic of that is they don't get jokes because they take things on face value. Things are so literal. Uh, yes, but that is actually very funny in a lot of ways. So, okay, first of all, men and women are very different um, in terms of presentation. And like I said, it is a spectrum. So it's not like, it, it, it's not like uh, paraplegics. Like paraplegics can't use their legs. They can't walk. <laughs> Where There's no spectrum of paraplegia. <laughs> you know, it's going, well, I'm a paraplegic, but but I can hop. It doesn't, you know, it's just, it is. Um, that was a terrible example. I'm but one of, I'm one of them hopping paraplegics. Yeah. <laughs> and it also bugs me when people, it's para. Yeah, para for two and quad for four, right? Yes, right. para's legs or arms and quad is all four because people will often say, I'm a quadriplegic. And you go, no, you're not. Um, very clearly not. Uh, um, but it, it, you know, there is a wide range of capabilities. Like you've got people with Asperger's that, you know, Einstein is said to have been, you know, autistic in terms of his capability. You know, people that can do these amazing sums in their heads and they go, well, I just see that, you know, you give me two numbers in the cloud in the middle gives me the answer. They don't consciously calculate it the way we would. It just, their brain just does it. Um, but then you also have people who are Asperger's who struggle academically um, and, 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 and don't, and don't find that things come easily to them. So there's a wide range of ability. But I, I do find that if someone's too dry, I don't, I miss it. I take them seriously. And then they have to tell me, no, no, I was, I was kidding. How do you live in Britain? Yeah. But that's, I think, probably how I found comedy, because the easiest thing for me is to have them there in the audience and me on stage. And if I say, because I've said things on stage that I didn't mean that if I wasn't on stage would have been horrendous. But because it's on stage, they go, oh, my gosh, that's so funny. She's, because you're in an environment where that's OK. Uh, and, and I have two close girlfriends who who tell me now they're pretty good. They don't tell me anymore. But when we first started hanging out, would go, wow, that's out, that would be outrageous if we didn't know that you were you didn't mean it. Yeah. Well, well, do you know what you said? Finding an example. I don't know. Well, just even the other day, one of them sent us a draft of her poster and said, What do you think? And so I wrote her back and said, I think this, I think that, I think the other, I would change this, I would do this color. Blah, blah. And then the third girlfriend came back to me later and just went, She called me because she thought you didn't like the poster. And, and I, so girlfriend A said, what do you think of my poster? And I said, well, I would change, you know, X, Y, Z. And then friend B came back and said, friend A called me because she worried you didn't like the poster. I said, I just said, didn't say I didn't like it. She asked me what, what could be improved. So I gave her a list of improvements. Um, and B had to reassure A that that didn't mean that the poster was crap or I didn't like it, but just, she didn't say, do you like my poster? And is there anything that can be improved? She just went, what can be improved? So that was the question that I answered. Right. And so they're and, and British people, I'm assuming they're British. British people can't handle a straight answer anyway. Right. <clears throat> if a British person says, well, what do you think of it? And the British answer to that is, 
Well, have you considered trying something else as opposed to that's a piece of crap? You know what? The, Brit, I find the Brits will never admit how they actually feel a lot of the time. So even when they say, how are you? That's the hardest question for me. I hate that question. Hey, how you, how you doing? Because then my brain goes, well, how are you doing? Okay, well, let's see. Uh, yeah. This hurts and that hurts. And, you, and, and all you're supposed to say is, oh, yeah, good. How are you? I hate that. It's a lie. And, and then again, if you're going to lie and then ask them the same question back, and they're also going to go, yeah, 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 good. Why did we have that whole interchange? That was irrelevant and pointless because nobody told the truth and nobody cared. So let's just go, hey, so what are we doing tomorrow? <laughs> Scientists. Why go, hey, how are you? Oh, good, a lie. Let me lie back. Okay, we've done the obligatory lying. <laughs> Now let's talk truth. What, what, what? what an awful way. If, if, if truth is your goal, that's a terrible way to get at it, why, actually. It's interesting. Why have interaction with anyone if it isn't true? That's, that, that also hurts. It really hurts because the worst thing. So I find, and I think a lot of people with Asperger's do, and, and not everyone does, some don't. I find that I've got the, the databasing kind. So when I was a kid, I really took to Sherlock Holmes. That, that helped me feel a lot better about myself because I'd walk up to someone and go, I really like your haircut. And they go, that's freaky. How did you notice? Or, oh, this is new or you've changed something. And you can't notice too many details about someone. They feel uncomfortable. They don't like that. You've, you've observed too much. <laughs> and, I, and so I had to learn how to tone that down. And when I found Sherlock Holmes going, oh, okay, it's not just me. This huh. is a thing. All right. I'm not alone in this. This is not a freak thing. But um, but I, you database a lot of information. So they found that actually as people with Asperger's get older, they become less autistic because as you gather more and more information. So when you first learn that smiling is happy, then you go, smiling is happy. You are smiling. You are happy. And then you go, oh, crying is sad. Okay, you are crying. You are sad. But then one day you're going to come across someone who's crying because they're happy, and it's going to completely throw the system. You might have to reboot the computer. Uh, but then you have an entry in the database that crying can also be happy when at a wedding, and it's someone you know who's getting married. Fine, I have an entry for that. So as you get older and as you grow the database, you learn more and more about how to behave, how to respond, what people don't like in your own response. But it means you're constantly questioning your own behavior especially then when someone comes up to you and you go, hi, I'm here for the party. And they'll go at seven o'clock and you say, yes, you said come from seven. And they don't mean come at seven. They mean come sometime after seven <laughs> and you've shown up at seven <laughs> and they go, no, 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 it's fine. Come in, come in. And you get the sense of irritation, <laughs> but the words are saying, no, 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 it's fine. Can I get you a drink? And they're half dressed and you're there going, this is awkward. Something's awkward, but the words are not matching the face. And that's where, that's where it gets really hard to walk around almost seeing people's true emotions and what they actually are thinking or what they actually mean because you've read the micro expression on their face before they go, no, 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 it's fine. No, oh, I really like it. Oh, no, that's great. I, uh, you were talking about you know, working in an office and seasonal affected disorder or whatever. I, I was just hearing about, uh, well, there was a conference actually uh, on raising money for autism research and awareness. I thought mm -hmm. like, oh, how can that not be a thing? Well, apparently there's no pill for autism. So pharmaceutical, whatever, raising money. <laughs> if there's no pill, yes. you can market. Yes. There will be. I'm sure. Someone's working on it. But well, the, the, at the uh, uh, conference where they were trying to raise money for this, you know, autism research, there, there was a guy saying that, uh, yeah, he was, uh, well, actually, younger kids are actually having an easier time of it, perhaps. But people who are adults our age or whatever, you know, uh, also have the same, you know, grew up with the same stuff. It's just there was no diagnosis back then. But yeah. you can still diagnose yourself as an adult. And this one guy was saying, yeah, I work in a bank. I was hired because of this skill set. But they also had, you know, on my uh, application resume, whatever, like, watch out, this guy, social skills, total zero. And he said, you know what? I'm, I had a diagnosis of, um, yeah, I'm on the spectrum, Asperger's, whatever. And he even had like a, a sign on his desk or whatever. You need me to, you know, put together two intensely complicated data sets or, you know, spreadsheets, no problem. Problem. But if you want me to figure out what you really mean with your facial expression, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. can't help you there. And it was just much easier for everybody. We should all have these instruction manuals like taped to our shirts, I guess. I don't see why not. I mean, that's the other thing is that we're we're marginalized as a group that, and there are people with needs. Don't worry. As a as a group as a whole, it's it was crazy. We were very upset when Asperger's got removed as a as a as a as a thing because we do have different needs and you've got, you know, you've got people, uh, you know, the lower end of the spectrum that need a lot of help and support. And, and, and we all collectively come together as, as a, as a group and, you know, and, and fundraising is for everyone. But, but, um, the, some of the things that we think are completely common sense in terms of support 
in terms of what would make everybody's life easier, people think are crazy, like having signs. Yes, let's all have signs or let's all say how we feel or, you know, um, we all like it quieter than we say we do. Everybody, nobody likes noise. I can't stand noise, but I'm a weirdo for wearing earmuffs indoors. That makes you stand out like you're some kind of crazy. It's going, but nobody likes crazy noises. I don't know anyone who, I, I know one person who likes snoring. One person. And that's because growing up, her grandfather snored through the wall and she feels comforted by the sound of snoring. But everyone else hates snoring. I hate snoring. But You know, listening to you, to you talk about this, and I often ask this question of comedians, the what would you be doing if you weren't a comedian uh, question. But f- listening to you speak about how you're, you know, your, your experiential world that I think you really have to do this. Is this correct, do you think? Well, you know, I mean, again, it's quite common for people with autism to have obsessions, and this is definitely my obsession. I don't know what my obsession would be if it was. It was forensics, actually. So as a teenager, I was reading all sorts of crime novels. I wanted to be a forensic pathologist. That was because of the detailed aspect of the job. It required You have to be consistent. You have to have an eye for detail. You have to do the same thing over and over again. And so that really appealed to me. And then I was at a very small high school here in in, in the Netherlands, actually. In, in Vassenaar, yeah, the American School of Hague and the chemistry, a great department, but I couldn't get the chemistry degree I needed to go to med school. I'd started it too late and I couldn't, I couldn't get the chemistry. So I had to settle for a pathology undergrad degree instead of a, a medical degree to go to forensic pathology. So it took me in a different direction, but, um, no, I, I, this, this is such a great therapy for all of the times that someone went, you're weird, you're different. You can't say that mm, she's a bit strange. But then I've also worked at it because I, I I have a friend in comedy who when we first met 10, 13 years ago, she's like, oh, I never liked you. I never liked you. you. didn't. And now she's like, oh, you're really nice. I don't know why I didn't like you. And I'm going, Shh, don't, you know, I was like, I'm not going to tell you this, but I was totally different 10, 13 years ago. Like I was very raw, Aspie. And then over the 10, 13 years that we avoided each other, became a much better person at, at being nice and understanding how to interact with people and and not just go, hi, what is your name and what can you do for me? Uh, (laughs) but that's what every networking situation is hello what is your name and what can you do for me oh I see not much what about that person over there should I be talking to him (laughs) you don't do that at parties but yet that's what everyone's doing behind when they're looking over your shoulder at somebody else so being aspie is just being aspie is that a term we can use now being aspie is just being brutally honest in a way or dutch if you will (laughs) but that's I mean that's why I I, maybe that's why we didn't know sooner is growing up in Holland Ah. just going you're normal (laughs) <laughs> that's not my experience of the Dutch, but that's for another show. Yeah. My experience of the Dutch is actually they think that they're the most direct people on earth and you yeah, can right. say anything to them. But if you actually do it, they get super upset and they crawl up into a ball and then they get burned out and they don't turn up for work for six months. But that's a. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> I want to hear that story. Oh, Who was it? I'm not making this up. I mean, I this is this is very Dutch as to I mean, it's they're the sickest. If you just look at it in terms of. Burnout, it's the sickest country on earth. I just wrote an article yeah. about that, actually. Yeah, I've, yeah. And, and work-life balance. And, yeah. like, I, the first time I heard work-life balance was, yeah, in the Netherlands because, yeah, oh, people are burning out. And uh, we need to teach people how not to work so hard. Anyway, but... Uh, yeah, those 36 what? hours a week are just killing them. What, what, what's <laughs> the pot for, then? Oh, the, <laughs> for everything. Yeah. For the <laughs> what kind of a question is that? For everybody else. Sorry, that's for everybody else. It's for the tourists. It's yeah. for the tourists. Well, hold on. We um are uh, uh we're we're getting this interesting point, Jonathan. Where do you want to go from here? Well, this is really fascinating. I was not. I didn't know, and I wasn't expecting you to say this. But many, many pennies have dropped during the course of this conversation. It's absolutely fascinating. Don't make me count them. I'm not that kind of autistic. <laughs> <laughs> All the pennies that dropped are in this jar. <laughs> Tell me how many pennies are in the jar. 39 cents. <laughs> and one two cent, 41. Um. <laughs> no, no, but that, this is really fascinating because, uh, you know, you, there are people, uh, one of the reasons why we do this kind of show is because uh, I love speaking to, to comedians because to me they seem like the modern day philosophers. There's always something in the backstory that is driving them to look at the world in this sort of the cockeyed view of the world. And it's usually less about the audience and more about their need 
to get this out there, because if they didn't get this out there, they'd be very, very unhealthy people indeed. And I just wonder that if you didn't have this as an outlet, have you ever thought about what kind of person you'd be if you didn't have this? Do you know, that's interesting because one of the things I've been struggling with recently, you know, looking at the voice and the development of voice is very like technical comedy speak, but is the fact that comedians tend to be very opinionated. So if you're doing a podcast or if you're vlogging or blogging, you know, frequently, your point of view is going to come across. And I've always been very shy to put my opinion out there because growing up as the weirdo, my opinion was never quite right. It was never the same. And unless you agreed with the group, you would be ostracized even further. So the group will let you stay on the sidelines if you don't cause too much of a fuss. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you go to the toilet and they decide to change bars, they'll leave you behind. They'll forget you were there. But but they'll still allow you to hover on the outside. But if you suddenly step forward with an opinion, that's it. So I've never been that good at voicing. My opinions ended up always being A, the third eye, and B, completely different and, and wrong. So I've, I've struggled with the idea of putting my opinion out there. And even the couple times I have, I wrote an article last year about sending my kids to academies because in Britain, they're pseudo-privatizing education. And, um, and I wrote an article about that. And of course, the vitriol that comes back in the comments section. From, from well, punters, I guess, readers, uh, you know, I mean, it's just in the comments. So anyone can comment underneath. Anyone yeah. who reads the, the paper online is, okay. has the ability to comment. Which paper was it? Sorry. It was the Independent. Okay. So it was a, a commentary in the Independent about why I wouldn't send, I'd rather, I think it was called I'd Rather Homeschool My Kids Than Send Them to an Academy and and, and wrote all that down. But of course, what they didn't know was that I, I do have a PhD and I'm quite highly qualified to teach children at home. I've worked in education for 20 years. I've always tutored. I tutored my way through um, the PhD as well for, for extra money. And, um, and I have homeschooled my children in the past, uh, which is again, a totally different story. Uh, but, uh, but that wasn't all in the article. The article was just talking about academization and the politics of that and, and the vitriol that came back. And I just thought, I can't do this to my, I couldn't do that every week. I couldn't put out something I believe in so strongly to have people come back and go, that's so typical using your kids as a political vice. Why don't you ask the kid what she wants? And I'm going, well, obviously, how is that not a given? Of course, you, you know, I'm going to ask my child. Um, and actually she had informed the piece a lot because she'd come around and looked at different schools and had decided what she did or didn't like. So, and, you know, this might be a topic for a whole separate podcast, but you have three kids. Uh, yes. I have three biological children and, and I rate help my husband and I raised his first son together with our three. Wow. And uh, that's also, I would say, rather atypical of, uh, you know, working, touring uh, comedians. So, I mean, when we uh, saw each other in Edinburgh, I think you were there uh, for the whole month, right? And you had the family the, the, there. Uh, how do you, yes. I mean, sorry, just to touch on this as well. But uh, yeah, how do you, how do the kids inform the comedy as well? Uh, A bit. You know what? It's funny because even though I have kids, Rialina doesn't have kids she does but she doesn't so she speaks about having kids but she doesn't have kids the way that that um you know I'm not a family comic I suppose so I wouldn't I never if I have to to bring my kids to work I would never expect anyone to make allowances for it I'll you know I'd, I'd be like I'm really sorry I don't it's strange how it like Rialina is the professional and then I'm mom at home and I keep it so, so I do talk about them. I do have material about being married and about having kids, but I don't have a lot of stories about, oh, my kid did this funny thing. Oh, this happened. It's more about how I relate to being their parent or it's how they relate to me. Because, of course, being autistic, it's all about me. And, uh, um, yeah. and, it's, and, it, and it's that way around so far. I mean, a couple of stories here and there I've sort of I've, I've told or I, I tend to if they do something, I'll tweet about it rather than talk about it on stage, because I guess it depends it depends on what you're saying about parenting or what you're saying about kids. And I don't really comment about kids so much because I guess they're, they're almost a protected class, aren't yeah. they? I mean, certainly if it's, yeah, if it's your own kids, uh, but it's interesting to me, uh, how you refer to yourself in the third person just now, Rialina, Rialina doesn't talk about, yeah. but I mean, you were talking about your stage persona, Rialina. I mean, sorry, the previous podcast and the one you're going to perform with tonight is Marcel Lucomte, not Ducomte, uh, Marcel, who is, the alter ego of Alexis. Yeah. So, so you know, Alexis, the actor, has a character called Marcel uh, Lucombe, and, and you seem to have a separate character as well. They, they just, it has the same name as you. 
Well, no, well, actually, no. The Rialina is a stage name. Uh, okay. It is well, it's a stage name because my father's German, so I have a German surname, and I was. I, it's I was Dr. Holzerlan before I was a professional comedian. So I got the PhD. And if you Google my real name, you'll come up with all the papers and all the stuff I did as a scientist. So I the stage name was to keep was very much with the the future of the Internet in mind. Uh, yeah, I know how forward thinking is that is just go one day there will be a device upon which people will find me. Um, so I, I separated that early on and it is two different it is two different things, two different personas. I mean, you are already a caricature of yourself on stage yeah. and it is very much a forward facing. So I am Rialina on social media. I'm not, and that's why I'm saying Rialina isn't, and Eddie Boo, and Rialina is not a mother. So I don't post pictures of my kids and go, hey, my kid's birthday today, because that is not part of the business and part of the brand. Even though Rialina has children, they're more the, con it's like the conceptual children that Louis C.K. has. He has children, but when he did his sitcom, he didn't cast his own children. He cast actors to play the concept of his children. And it's the same thing for Rialina. She has a concept of children. So people will come up to me afterwards and go, do you really have three kids? <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, I do. <laughs> but is it, is it weird that I didn't know your real name <laughs> no i don't think so because okay. i i don't i don't think so and people will even confuse i had someone write me, i gave them my card and they still wrote to me and said dear lena and i went no it's dear ria that that's it's on the card first name then last name like typical western way of doing it but they still even with my business card got my name wrong um i think some people don't realize it's two names ria and then lena they call me hey dear ria lena um no i don't think because i keep it because like i said it's it's very it's not it doesn't come out ever it's not and then sorry now that we are getting to know the real you <laughs> <laughs> because everything we heard up until this was subterfuge <laughs> but how, how shall we uh i feel like we're playing strip poker something off next i don't know uh, yeah right well, well i actually i i know how we should we should segue to the end here because we've been at this for an hour guys which is excellent. So yeah, doesn't it pass fast? It did. Yeah. Because we ask smart questions, so you give smart answers. That's it's so why. Sweet. It's so, <laughs> so sweet of you. Um, but I think the next question I have to ask you is, how did you get into the ukulele? And then you should play us one more song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So I um, failed at the guitar. <laughs> is how I got Me too. And then I failed at the bass, and that's really embarrassing. That is embarrassing. Yeah. Oh, Wait, my God. Has four no, yeah. bass has four strings. Yeah. Four, four, but the guitar is six. So I understand the step down from guitar to bass, because like six strings, five fingers, you do the math. I don't understand how that works. Somebody just turned the lights on us. Oh my Jesus God. Christ. This hurts. Why are you <laughs> I don't get it. I don't understand. Anyway, yeah. So how did you get into the ukulele? Um, so I wrote a song, the first, one of the first songs I ever wrote way back in like 2001 was a song about why do we pray on Sundays to God? If you've read the Bible, he built the world in six days and Sunday's his day off. So he's not listening. Like he's, he's in bed with a sheet over going, shut up, I'm trying to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was, I wrote that and I wrote it on a guitar because my, my husband plays a guitar and there was a guitar lying around and, um, I borrowed a guitar. I don't have one. I borrowed one at the gig to play this song. And on the way up to the stage, I knocked it against a chair because it was huge. You know, it's a big, big, um, instrument compared to me i'm very small i'm asian teeny tiny and and it, and when i got on stage it was out of tune because i'd knocked it so the whole thing was out of tune so i'm there going it's not my guitar i don't know how to tune it i've all i've prepared is this song i have nothing else to do panicked uh and went out and bought a ukulele the next day <laughs> just quit this is you know <laughs> this isn't gonna work um and then and because i'd been tinkering on a guitar for a number of years like you know i could play three or four chords and that's really all you need is three or four chords it was quite easy to transfer but even now i don't know i've been playing it for 15 years i think i still don't know the chords easily i still think of them in terms of guitar chords so i'll be like the d shape and they'll look at me and go what i'm like you know the d shape from the guitar is a chord and then you've got this one and they'll go that's c on the ukulele they'll go okay because it's g on a guitar <laughs> so i'm still even now translating from the guitar chords into ukulele and going well it sounds nice <laughs> you want to play one more thing for us on our way out? Uh, on our way out? Are you gonna, you're going to leave me here alone. We're just going to leave you here. We're, we're, you just keep playing. I'm going to leave the mic. <laughs> <laughs> on the stage, um, your gig for, you know, 7 and 9 o'clock tonight. So you can just do a warm-up. 
Here we go. Sitting with my ukulele on a blanket by the sea. Hoping that a certain someone comes to rescue me. The tide is getting higher and my feet are getting wet. He said he'd be here half past three. I hope he won't forget because I can't swim. And he's got my wheelchair. This is the Amsterdam Comedy Podcast. Our guest was Ria Lena. Hey, thank you to Brunel Theater for the venue. Thanks to Joe Egan with uh, English Comedy in The Hague and uh, to Speaker's Corner as well. But mostly thanks to... Rialina? Rialina. Uh, we'll link to Ria's website on our SoundCloud liner notes as well as on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Amsterdam Comedy Podcast, all one word. And if you like the show, do leave a comment on Facebook, uh, and then more people will hear of the show. We'll do more interviews, and maybe someday we'll make some money. Someday. It's such a lovely dream. Our theme music is called Bugga Blue, and it's played by the U.S. Army Swing Band. And that's that's it. it. That's it. Until next time, everyone. Have a lovely summer. Episode 17 in the can. Yeah.